It's hopeless, isn't it, Doctor? I'll never look any differently. Well, that's hard to say. Up to now, you... You haven't responded to the shots, the medications, any of the proven techniques. Frankly, you've stumped us, Miss Tyler. Nothing we've done so far has made any difference at all. However, we're... We're very hopeful for what this last treatment may have accomplished. There's no telling, of course, till we get the bandages off. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And, and uh, <laughs> so this week, I was wondering if you were going to say anything about last week, but um, no, this week I, we I've, have I've already gotten the staff special... of power and staff of truth thing figured out. Thank you. So I'm good. So continue on. All right. Good. <laughs> I was getting mad about that last week. <laughs> yeah. um, staff of truth. Uh, so this week, we got a very special guest. I, it's been a long time in the works. I'm very excited to get him on. He's from uh, the incredible Trick or Treat Radio. Um, somebody who I look up to in the podcasting world just uh, due to his dedication, uh, his output, and just his support for other podcasts in the scene. Um, we have Dynamo Mars. Uh, thank you so much, guys. It's it's really a pleasure and, a, and an honor to be here. Uh, uh, you guys do good stuff. So, and, uh, Horns Bay is my boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same back to you, man. You guys do incredible work. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not as good about getting things out on a weekly basis, but trick or treat radio every week. You guys are there for me. No, uh, I appreciate it. It's it's awesome. You guys do a great job. It's uh, we are very lucky to be part of a, a much bigger thing that has like a huge support system with it that um you know, comes with like a, a lot of people that have like a great work ethic. So, um, you know, like a, a lot of things would have to happen for, for an episode, not, not to come out. Like if I all of a sudden, you know, if I got real sick after my surgery, um, another member of like our extended family would have like just jumped on and helped it. And, and that, you know, knowing that there's that kind of like safety net there, I feel like makes it, um, makes it e- easy to show up every week. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it um, uh, there's almost no pressure because the, the show would go on no matter what. So, and plus, uh, Johnny Wolfenstein, who is the producer in the media for, uh, uh, the head of all media for my band, the deadites, which, uh, trick or treat radio is, is part of the, the larger, uh, the larger, I guess, con- artistic conglomerate. Um, he's so phenomenal and he's a great leader. Um, he's like the captain America of audio. Like it's just easy to like, he just makes it easy. Yeah, he makes everything very seamless, and uh, that's that's always a sign of a good producer. 
Um, so yeah, you talked about your surgery. I didn't even realize until after I asked you to be on the show that, uh, you just got out of surgery not too long ago, which I'm so happy. Everything worked out great for you. And, uh, you know, you're on the mend and everything. Uh, very thank happy you, to you. hear that. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't even think that I was asking you fresh out of surgery <laughs> to talk about an episode with a woman who's coming out of surgery. Um, yeah, it kind of worked I, out unintentional, I promise. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to bring back any bad memories from recent uh, uh, history, but uh, yeah, it kind of worked out. Yeah, I was I was lucky while I was in the hospital. I, the, the last day that I was in the ICU, uh, I was sort of ask, acting like the, the lady in this. I was ready to not be hooked up to all these machines and uh at one point i had a tube up up my nose into my stomach down my throat into my stomach and out the other end of my nose Um, and as as you can imagine that was like a drag so that was kind of my bandages i was like i'm i'm ready to not like feel like my face is going like uh like i would get like a friggin' face charlie horse if i would move the wrong way because like you know that that uh, there wasn't a lot of give on that tube and not a lot of slack. It was just gross and it made me feel gross. And, but, uh, you know, I was lucky in the hospital, the, the hospital I went to is, is great. And I went from like, I, I only had like maybe one and one and a half days where I was like, uh, uncomfortable and felt like I was in the hospital. Like uh, I went from being pretty drugged to having a day where I felt, you know, like I was in jail and wanted to not be there anymore to like, having kind of a nice like apartment almost for a few days that I got to like sit and talk about books with, with bill by force from outside the cinema. Like, so it was, it was, it wasn't too bad at all. Uh, but you know, I, I, I've been in, uh, you know, as you can imagine from, from looking at my lovely face, I've been in the hospital a bunch in my life. So like, uh, you know, you definitely, it's, it's like a, uh, how can I word this? A soft spot in the good way. You know what I mean? Like, a, like one of those, like, triggers like anything that happens yeah. at a hospital of any kind like you've already uh, almost like you know the, the open bodies of water are the same thing for me too like uh, a subpar hospital thriller um will will you know get me more than it might deserve because i'm already afraid of it a little bit so um you definitely picked a good in for me yeah <laughs> um yeah so uh before we get into this episode uh, I just, uh, what, what's your history with the Twilight Zone? I like to ask our guests just to see where they stand, if they're new to the series, if they grew up watching it, uh, you know, where were you first introduced to it, that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you have any uh, good background with this or anything you want to share. Um, I, 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 I really love it. Um, I've been away from it for a while because it was part of like a, a lexicon of television. Um, I am old enough. Um, very very old where the first part of like my childhood we didn't have cable Mm -hmm. um so we had like you know these uhf stations and they were just hungry for content and something like the twilight zone you know which had multiple seasons and like was you know something they could stack up in like an evening or afternoon um or marathon on a holiday um you know was something that a lot of uhf channels would like you know, stack up and we had a local yeah. UHF channel in Worcester called channel 27 and they would run on Sunday. They would run the twilight zone, uh, in, uh, like from Saturday at like, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night until they started running like, uh, crazy movies that I like <laughs> that, 
like that's where I saw like Zombie Lake. Uh, oh wow! And uh, you know uh, some like police stuff and things like that. Like uh, you know, pretty much I, I don't remember them censoring anything out of them. So it's part of this like weird block of television for me that like uh, was like the portal to like all, all these forbidden fruits for me. Um, and it also like my parents were very big sci-fi fans and it was on a lot in, in my home. And it was one of the early things that when we got a VCR, my, my, my dad would record them to have them. And my mom would like, just watch him, you know, uh, in the evening, I'd hear that song as I was in my room, you know, the twilight zone theme. Like, so it was kind of just always like, uh, you know, omnipresent in my life forever. Like, you know, my mom was, uh, was a Trekkie. Um, and my dad was, uh, like a horror and Western guy. So the Twilight Zone was kind of like their middle ground. I, I suspect it was something that they probably bonded about very early in their yeah. um, in their career. It, you know that and being both being huge music lovers. So um, the uh, you know like it was just something that was like for me between its huge syndication like net and the fact that my folks just you know ate it up like uh, it was just something that was on all the time. And, and some of the episodes and. Because I was, uh, which is funny, having a horror podcast now, um, because I was a big baby growing up, like, uh, it was, you know, just sometimes, like, uh, until I, like, got older in my teens, like, I was, like, early, like, preteens, like, you know, 11 or 12, and, like, started to, like, be able to, like, indulge it in, in, in my own terms, like, just the song would scare the crap out of me. Um, so, you know, in, including one thing in particular, which I think we're going to touch on later on, like, um, it just like, it, it, it was almost scarring, you know, <laughs> like, like yeah. how like, you know, scary it was. So, you know, it was just, it, just a thing. Like it, it, it's like, um, uh, om- almost like the same thing as like a, uh, like star Wars or star Trek. It was just part of my life forever, but it was the thing that kind of was like those things, but not like it at all. Like it was like where Chewbacca was cute, uh, or C3PO was charming, um, like this just everything about this like you know as a youth you didn't understand what was wrong but you understood something was a jar something was amiss with what the images and the the content you were seeing and it just scared the crap out of me yeah and i i like what you said about being a middle ground between uh all those fandoms between like sci-fi and horror and everything because it seems like a lot of people and i'm big into horror and a lot of my friends are and everything. And a lot of people I talk to that are big horror movie fans. Twilight zone is one of those things that just, uh, it was their introduction to it. Cause it's something that was acceptable to watch as a child. You know, a lot of parents let you watch it and it was either you gravitate towards that or you don't. So a lot of people like this was that entryway into right. being interested in either sci-fi or horror. You know, I always tended to lean more towards the horror episodes and the sci-fi one. And I think, uh, Paul, vice versa, a lot of times. So um, it's I, I like they say it's a nice middle ground between all that. But yeah, it's it's so interesting hearing so many people have that same fondness of just like catching it on TV. And I had the same thing. I've talked about it on the show just with uh, one of my friends that lived a couple streets away. His dad had all the episodes taped just up on the wall going across the basement. And every time I'd spend the night over there, we'd just go and find like random episodes and pop them in there. Uh, this being one of them, uh, the episode we're talking about today. So it's always fun. 
All right. Paul, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I was just just enamored by all the talk. Uh, I also think that this is something that's very approachable for uh, parents to show to let their kids watch because ultimately there is there is a, a moral value to it, even though some of the characters are despicable, there's always a lesson in there. And I'm not trying to do Saturday afternoon special, but like <laughs> even this, there is a strong message that can be talked about between. Uh, I, must have, I, I must have missed the message in this one. I, you know, I, I, there is <laughs> a message. Kidding. Yeah, no, right. Um, but I feel like even like even the last episode, which, you know, had had the devil in it. I still think you could talk about, you could still have that conversation with, and there's, there's not a sense of, there's not a sense of cruelty to the Twilight Zone. There are some dark twists, but even even going back to Time Enough at Last, you know, you still felt bad for Mr. Bemis, and that was a dark ending. But you didn't. They didn't paint him cruelly. You know, like it's just. I feel like now there's a lot of horror out there where it's just punishment after punishment after punishment, and I never get that vibe from the Twilight Zone. Yeah, well, I th- I think we're jaded as a society now. And, you know, we've gone through the through the 2000s with the torture porn and everything and things have times have changed you know like this stuff was this stuff was uh looked at as being kind of risque at the time you know like now it just seems tame but it's just the changing of the time you know sensibilities people want to see uh characters punished people want to see that and it's 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 more of an outlet you know so and that's why we yeah, watch black it, mirror it's kind of nice looking back on this it's a different time it's a little bit simpler it's a uh less stressful to me i guess <laughs> yeah no i i agree 100 it's almost like uh the like the accessibility of it to almost like an all ages thing um you know, when you look at something that goes on the same uh, morality play mission statement, like the EC comic stuff, mm-hmm. uh, almost makes it more like, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, there's something that there's a there's a mental parallel that I haven't ever been able to like really articulate to anybody who like wasn't a fan of both things between say Lovecraft and the Twilight Zone in the sense where it was like in Lovecraft, obviously it was terrifying, but it was all left to you. You know what I mean? And like a lot of times it was the same sort of thing where it was, somebody was where they, where they didn't belong or, or, you know, like it was like a, you know, a a broken, a broken version of, of like something that we knew morality was, but it was still something that wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't severed heads and, you know, and, 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 you know, uh, got in spaghetti and meatballs like you know tales from the crypt and stuff like that so yeah but i i think that's why you know i i love tales from the crypt the show and everything but i think that show has dated itself a lot more than the twilight zone has i agree 100 percent. you know so i I, same thing today i think by not going for that blood and guts and having it more of you know we've talked about this being a writer's show you know being really friendly to strong writing and everything uh, I I think that it has helped the show stand the test of time better than stuff that just went for it. <laughs> right. And I, Tales from the Crypt is a great comparison in that. Um, so I guess we should get into this episode here. So, Paul, you want to take us away? Sure. So this episode that we keep talking about, we actually have said the name of it, is uh, Season yeah. 2, Episode 6, Eye of the Beholder. Um, that's one name for this episode. And we'll get to that later. Uh, mm-hmm. Air date, November 11th, 1960. Number one song at the time was Save the Last Dance for Me, The Drifters. Again, number one film, The Alamo. 
and the struggle about the basement and the bicycle there, not true. Um, <laughs> so uh, the one thing I'll just mention just real briefly, what happened this date is just interesting to me, is that the RMS Britannic, uh, the last of the ocean liners, the White Star Line, sailed from Liverpool to New York City on its last voyage. The White Star Line had the Lusitania and the Titanic. So this is the one that actually survived out of the White Star Line, and it was taken out of service as of 1960. And that is Man. that is crazy to me that 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 operated got, as long as it did. <laughs> you got to have some balls to get on that ship. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I just thought. Like, like there is no way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know what we made three of them. It's it's fine. You know, like it's it's good. With other two, fine. But this one will it'll last. It'll last forever. Um, but yeah, that's what happened. Um, but yeah, that's all I have. So let's just get into uh, the cast and crew. Cool. So this episode was directed by uh, Twilight Zone veteran at this point, Douglas Hayes, who we just talked about last episode with the Howling Man. Um, he was brought back by uh, uh, the producers because this was going to be a very challenging episode. So they've had such success with him in the past, they figured they'd bring him back. Um, episode was written by Rod Serling. And music, I'm going to note... Um, was Bernard Herman just because this is probably spoiler alert my favorite score out of any of the episodes we've seen so far. Yeah, it's it's really good. I and I um I I forgot to even note that it, the music does set the mood very well. Yeah. Um. So we'll jump into cast here. We have Maxine. Oh man, Stewart <laughs> can't even read my own handwriting. Plays the bandaged Janet Tyler. Uh, this was her only Twilight Zone episode. A lot of TV work and uh, a lot of soap operas and stuff like that. I wasn't too familiar with her. You should check out her IMDb photo. That's all I got to say about that. We'll leave people to go find it. It's uh, <laughs> it's very appropriate. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, the next up, we have Donna Douglas, who plays Janet Tyler as the revealed one, who uh, most of us will know us know her from uh, Beverly Hillbillies as Ellie Mae Clampett. <laughs> Yeah, she, uh, she got stuck yeah, with I, that. Yeah, yeah all 270-some episodes of Beverly Hillbillies. I didn't even realize that show went for that long. <laughs> it's kind of insane. Well, I mean, they found Bubble and Crude, so it could last a long time. It's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was in one other Twilight Zone episode and uh, an episode of the Night Gallery later on. Uh, next up, we have the return of William D. Gordon as the doctor, who was uh, in Nervous Man in a $4 room a few weeks ago that we talked about. Um, again, not much acting. Did a lot of TV writing and that kind of stuff. Switched over to acting. Um, next up, we have Jennifer Howard, who plays Janet Nurse. It's the only Twilight Zone episode. Didn't really have much on her. Um, we have George Kemas as the leader. Uh, again, only Twilight Zone episode. He was a uh, character actor. He was in like hundreds of westerns he was one of those faces that just always popped up in a lot of tv westerns and uh kind of pre-spaghetti western stuff but also um, very importantly very importantly yeah. one episode of hawaiian eye oh yeah god i don't know how i keep missing <laughs> these so uh, mars i don't know if you've heard i got a running joke i'm not necessarily a joke but a frustration there is a polynesian pop uh version of hawaii 50 basically from the 60s maybe late 50s called hawaiian eye that yep. seemingly does not exist anymore <laughs> and i'm trying to find copies of it so i can play it down my tiki bar in the basement and it's nowhere um so every I, time I, we see it I, I lose my mind 
It was a cop show, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It was like a private eye, like yeah. uh, investigation yeah, show yeah. Um, that just took place in Hawaii, and they all Hawaii, just wore Hawaiian I, shirts and drank a bunch of uh, mixed drinks and stuff. <laughs> right. I I don't I I don't know if I would know it from seeing it, but I remember like it, it being like something that was around. You know what I mean? Like I, I remember like uh, it being probably probably one of those things that were like in syndication in between Hawaii Five O and Dragnet when I was you know yeah back when when a, a dinosaur on a treadmill was running our electricity <laughs> for us. I just, I don't think it made the uh, jump over to home video. So I think the only copies running around are things that may have been taped in the early days of VHS. So it's, it's pretty few and far between. Um, so, and then last person I'll mention, we have Edson Stroll who plays Walter Smith, who uh, he didn't really do too much acting, but uh just based on his appearance, I was kind of interested to look further into him. I guess he was a bodybuilder that switched into acting and singing, though I couldn't find anything about his singing career. So I guess that didn't really take off. <laughs> so there is one other person I want to mention. Uh, it's the reception nurse. It's the one that reaches for the cigarettes and you know, in the one shot. Uh, that's, yeah. that's Joanna Hayes. That's the wife of Douglas Hayes, the director. Oh, nice. And, and there's a story I'll oh. tell later, too. It's, it's pretty funny involving that. Yeah. You know, I didn't even make the connection. I was going to bring that up, but um, I was like, eh, she had like five seconds of screen time, but yeah, go figure. Well, it's funny because her IMDb mentions that she's the mother of, and she lists the siblings, but it's like, but not married to him. And I'm like, that's a weird trivia for the episode or like about her that there, there's no connection between husband and wife, but they'll list that she's the mother of whoever. You know, well, so. it says on her IMDb she was previously married to Douglas Hayes. Oh well, there. So uh, I guess I, can't, I, I guess I, I can't read or fact check. So uh, it must be all these bandages on my face that kept me from reading everything. Things didn't work out. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all right. So, so that pretty much does it for cast and crew. So we'll let Rod take it away here. Suspended in time and space for a moment, your introduction to Miss Janet Tyler, who lives in a very private world of darkness. A universe whose dimensions are the size, thickness, length of a swath of bandages that cover her face. In a moment, we'll go back into this room. And also in a moment, we'll look under those bandages. Keeping in mind, of course, that we're not to be surprised by what we see. Because this isn't just a hospital. And this patient 307 is not just a woman. This happens to be the Twilight Zone. And Miss Janet Tyler, with you, is about to enter it. And I will give credit to Rod. He actually made an appropriate entrance into this episode versus the last one. That's that's what I'll yeah. say about that. <laughs> Man, you're so mad about that entrance last week. God yeah. forbid he just walks into a shot. <laughs> I, I just I, I liked it. He walked into the hospital and he didn't see his face to begin with. And then you saw him and then he talked to you. So I appreciate that. Well, and I like how they mirrored that same shot when the doctor comes in, too. Yes. Um, so they kind of did it twice. Yeah. So, um. All right, I'm I'm going to kind of blow through this plot because there's really not too terribly uh, much to talk about with this. So we open on Bandage Woman lying in a hospital, a uh, very dark, shadowy hospital room, which um, seemed kind of odd, kind of sets the tone for this. Uh, she kind of talks about forgetting what it is, feels like to be outside and what it's like to not have the bandages on her face. And we find out that she's in the hospital to fix her deformed face. Um, so she's talking to the nurse at this point and telling her how she just wants to be normal like everyone else. And, uh, it's, it, 
I, I love how most of this episode they hide everyone's face in every mm-hmm. shot. And uh, we'll talk about how the reveal finally gets into it. But I think it was real smooth how Douglas Hayes was doing that. Um, so, yeah, the nurse calls the doctor after going out to get the cigarette from uh, the director's wife there, as we just learned. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we find out that this is her 11th time coming to the hospital to fix her face. And it hasn't worked yet. So the doctor says that they're really only permitted to do um, 11 procedures and that's it. So up until now, they don't really give any uh, idea that this is like a dystopian near future situation or anything like that. But we we soon learn after that that uh, anyone who's not up to the standards of beauty or norms, anyone that's different, is segregated to an area with all of the other uh, quote-unquote ugly people. Yeah, she called it a ghetto for freaks is how she referred to it as. And you get the idea about like conformity is like that's that's the priority, you know, and how the doctor was even trying to talk to her about like, oh, it's your ninth time in here. She's like, no, it's 11th. It was almost like he was trying to kind of play like he didn't know just to try to give her still a little bit of hope because it hasn't worked yet. And this is the last time. So we don't know how it's going to happen. You know, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Yeah, so she talks about wanting to be able to like go outside again and everything and how she wants to belong. More more the same she was really telling the nurse. Um, but I, I love she's got a line on here that just uh, rings in my head with it that the state is not God. And she's asking like who is in charge of setting these norms? Who is in charge of setting these standards and everything? But after that, in uh, hysterics, she runs towards a window, and I had a panic moment. I was like, oh, God, <laughs> stay away from the windows. <laughs> but we've had so many episodes end with somebody jumping out or falling out of a window. I was so terrified. Um, so, do you have anything else to add? No, I just like, there, there was the bit where she's talking to the doctor about how, like, just let me outside amongst the darkness, and I could sit on a bench and smell the flowers and feel the wind. And they're like, and so credit to uh, the actress um, Maxine Stewart because she emoted so well with the, basically what you know, like like a large Q-tip on your head, you know. And her hands just sold everything, and just the way she carried her body, and just the desperation, and just the sadness in her voice. Um, and when I was reading about about her, she said that she really had a t- hard time crying on camera. But when she was in this role with the bandages on her face, she had no problem with it because she was able to put herself right into that moment. And you could hear that just that just that sadness of just wanting to belong. And it, it's very heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah I, I was like you said, really impressed, uh, especially during the hysterics of, uh, you know, her yelling that the state is not God and everything. Right. Like that part and her little monologue there is incredible. Like some of the best acting we've seen so far in a great, like tension writing writer wise, which I think is underused. Like I always think it's a really subversive form of like setting the stage when, the person who you are sympathetic with is kind of the antagonist. Like no one is necessarily treating her poorly, you know, like, and even though you can understand why she's uncomfortable and you agree with her, like, you know, philosophically, she's like, she's the one that's kind of, uh, you know, stirring the waters in a lot of these situations. She's the one that's getting, uh, uppity. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. no one that like you know she's not taste or 
or treated poorly or anything like that. Like in, you know, she like, uh, you know, in, in her unraveling of her, her sanity, like she's the one who, good choice of words, <laughs> you know, is, is asking, you know, she's asking the right questions and the hard questions, but you know, obviously she's not in a position to ask them uh, to the right people. So even though they're resonating with us as, as, you know, viewers, these nurses and everyone is just trying to do their job. So, you know, as opposed to like her coming off as like, you know, I, I guess heroic or, or whatever, cause she's saying the right thing. And, and even though your brain is registering that, I think you're getting, you're, you're also feeling how like uncomfortable and awkward of a situation this is, you know? And I feel like that really works to set the tone here. Yeah. Especially cause the next scene after, uh, her, uh, yelling and going into hysterics and asking for, for the doctor to take the bandages off. We get this like amazing sympathetic moment with the doctor saying right. how like finding out that he's really attached to this patient and uh, you know he's he, he's he's basically saying the same things she is like why it is why does this have to happen like why can't people be different and all this and like I've seen her face it's a beautiful face you know and we right. really get this moment with the doctor and we find out, you know, he's not out to get her or anything. He's just sure. He's just going by what the status quo is, you know, right. and, uh, but he's asking the same question. So there, I, I really don't think there is a, I mean, if anyone's an antagonist it's society as a whole or, right. you know, the, the people, you know, the leader, we get a lot, we'll get into that here um, yeah. shortly, but, you know, the forces that keep things at the status quo at the time being or set the standards, set the norms and everything, though, that's really the antagonist. Right. Like, I, I would say all the people in this episode are pretty much victims. Yeah, um, yeah, no, for sure. And it it's so it's so smart to find a way to set that tone because you're dealing with an episode where uh, not a lot happens. You know, what I mean, you're building towards like a thing. To like you know so like it's it's to to be able to set that mode mood without tipping your hand to like what you know tipping your hand to like the type of story you're trying to tell anyway is like really like a plus writing you know yeah and especially you know being a week-to-week program and by this by this time going into the second season here like people have an idea of what they're getting each week you know like here comes the twist we're gonna get this type of character we're gonna get that type of character we've seen a lot of reoccurring themes a lot of reoccurring uh character tropes and everything so by this point you're you're kind of conditioned to expect one side or the other and the fact that you get this uh, moral ambiguity between them. Um, I, I think is really, really strong writing. Yeah, well, I, I agree, hundred percent. So, and and to to kind of pull the rug out under a little bit of this, just because this the way Sterling wrote the script, the the doctors and the nurses were very cold towards the character of uh, Janet Tyler. But then mm-hmm. when Douglas Hayes read the script, he was like, I you know, I I need some compassion here. So when he cast the roles of the doctor and the nurses, he brought them into a room and had them, he, he turned his back to whoever was coming in and he just listened to their voices. Cause he wanted compassionate voices. Cause he knew that's what you would only really hear for the whole episode. So him yeah. bringing that compassion in was something that did not occur to Serling, but I think just elevates it. 
Yeah, well, I take back everything nice I said about the writing in this episode. The writing's the and, same. Uh, <laughs> it's, just the, it's just the delivery. Douglas Hayes is an incredible director. Well, no, it, um, it, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the writing is exactly the same. It's just that it's it's not. Yeah, the inflection. Pity. It's yeah. from compassion, right. you know. And again, if we we've talked in the past about Serling sometimes being too close to his own property and not sure. being able to see, you know, the problems that lie within it, and uh, sometimes having those other people make those slight changes really does elevate his uh, work. So, yeah, Douglas Hayes, again, just killing it. Every episode he's touched. Um, yeah, so um, after we get that moment with the Doctor and everything, um, we find out that the leader of this uh, dystopian future is going to speak. And uh, the subject he's speaking on is conformity. And you get a real, real fascist tone from uh, the way he looks, the way... Um, the speech is given and everything. I thought that was a interesting choice given the time period of this episode being made. I just think it's interesting because you didn't necessarily need that to tell the story. And no. I think it adds a different level of, like you said, and, and implications, uh, <laughs> you know, that yeah. adds a whole another uh, layer of societal problems. Uh, into it because it becomes an issue of like what's what's normal and and i know that she's in a hospital like getting her face addressed but that may not be the only normal they're talking about because he talks about conformity and full yeah so and then the bit when the doctor's actually talking to the nurse which we we skipped over how that scene's even shot how the camera pivots and the actors are are blocked out to where you never see their faces directly but they move through the scene which now it looks a little hokey but back then must have just been like a masterstroke to get you through that scene. Um, right. It, 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 you, you get him having some compassion and the nurse is like, Oh, you know, you can't really, she's basically saying, you can't say that you can't think that. And so yeah. compassion I think, is, I think whole. he says it's treasonous or something. Yeah. At that point. And I just think that adds an extra that builds the world with saying so little. And I, and I love it. Yeah. And uh, having the leader speech going on in the background later on this episode really heightens the uh, anxiety level. Um, so, yeah, we, we go back into the hospital room here and uh, we get a great it's a, it's actually a pretty long scene of them taking the bandages off of her face. Um, and you get real inventive uh, POV shots through the bandages again douglas hayes we've he's done a lot of episodes up to this point and every episode there's always there's always a few things that really blow my mind of just it's not necessarily difficult but it's just smart it's just such an interesting way um the one the one quote that made me laugh though after he pulls off the first layer of bandages he asks her how does it look and uh, she says, everything looks gray. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I was wondering if that was just a joke because, you know, black and white TV and everything. That's funny. I didn't think um, about that. But made me laugh. So as he's pulling off the bandage, bandages, she asks uh, if she's still ugly, can she be put away? And uh, the doctor basically says, like, there are instance, instances where uh, the government will put down people that not are that are not conforming and uh yeah, three, are too ugly to be part of society basically threes are lower four can live threes are lower have to go out the door that's you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh he said probably you'll just be sent to that uh area with all the uh, other ugly people so they pull all the bandages off and uh there's no change so after she realizes that they're going to sedate her possibly and send her off to this place, she starts running away and you get the face reveal at this point. 
And we get to see the uh, yet again amazing makeup work and effects work from William Tuttle. Yeah. Still holds up today. Definitely. And, uh, you know, this episode, talking about directing and everything, is shot unbelievable. But for some reason, I feel like this episode has the best transfer uh, just in HD standards of any that we've seen. Like it everything incredible. Like, yeah, it, it, it really did. And, you know, you can kind of see some of the edges and everything on the prosthetics on their faces. But I, I, I still think it holds up so well. Like, it's it just... Yeah, no, I agree. It's interesting to even see that at this point, because <laughs> who would have ever thought one day that we'd have pictures so clear to see that? Yeah, uh, we, we were talking about someone off air and, and, and in, a, in a conversation offline. Um, speaking of bandages, uh, loyal listener uh, Nick, as he calls himself on some shows, was talking about the Invisible Man and like some of the Universal Monsters effects and stuff like, you know, in this and like, why can't they do it now? You know what I mean? Like with everything that we have that's better and like being able to lean into like, you know, they never in a million years dreamt that we would be watching this under the scrutiny of like, you know, uh, 1080p or, or higher. You yeah. Know or I mean? even but, just but, like, rewatching it. Like, exactly. I watched it, true. I watched it twice in one day, you know, right. like that. Nobody would have even thought about that. Yeah. So, so like now, like it's just so baffling and befuddling to me, like, when they know the scrutiny it's going to be under, when they know the possibility of like rewatching, how about pause? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh, I watched a film called humongous the other day and like mm-hmm. to be able to take a second to finally like hit pause on my PlayStation controller and finally see that humongous looked like, you know, th- like the worst Halloween mask <laughs> ever, you know? And it was something as yeah. a kid that like just conceptually terrified find me because you never really got a good look at it well it was like it was like return of the living dead for me um when i finally got that on dvd there's a scene where linnea quigley comes up she's walking down the down the street and her mouth opens real wide yeah um but when i got that on dvd and i was able to play it in slow motion and just like you know it it looks so goofy and it kind of took the magic away and everything but it was that same thing like who would ever thought that like I'd be able to like go and play frame by frame like that on a yeah, giant, yeah. And, giant 60 inch high definition TV. You know? Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's just, you would think that, and I understand some of it's like, you know, uh, the, the medium of special effects is split now between like digital and, and, you know, yeah, practical. It's, it's coming like, together. Yeah. Like I, I think that like, I just feel like why, why does creature from the black lagoon still look awesome? And you know, the little bit that I've seen of like alien come and like, why does that shit look shitty? You know what I mean? Like, it's just <laughs> baffling that you would think that special effects as good as some things have gotten. Like there are just certain elements, especially in like, you know, the genres we love the most that have like somehow actually got worse. Like, it's so weird. Like this stuff, like if I saw these doctors today, uh, done up exactly how they would, it would still hold up. You know, there was one, uh, there was one female nurse where I feel like the seams were really obvious. And then one guy who had like really red eyes. Um, yeah. And that seemed to draw attention to the seams like on his face. But like, otherwise the way this was shot, like those look like real monsters. You know what I mean? Like it was just incredible. Like it just so, so the craftsmanship on both ends of it, of the, the, 
the makeup and the way it was shot was just so incredible. Yeah. Hey, uh, Paul, was there anything in the book about how they uh, managed to create the effect? Yeah, a little I figured bit. That. Yeah. Uh, so William Tuttle, which you talked about before, and he did the he did the, the devil makeup in the last uh, episode, which that's still amazing. Um, he the, the 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 thing about this that worked well is one that. Hayes gave him time to come up with a concept because they said normally with a TV turnaround, they will tell the production crew the night before, like, we need a monster or we need makeup effects. And so he actually let in saying, yeah, we need some designs for this. And as he was putting together things, Hayes would come in and kind of mess with the mold a little bit to kind of make an odd shape and they would kind of work it out together. And the thing Tuttle really wanted to do was stress the how outlandish everything was, but also how uniform it was. So like with, with the lip and the way the cheeks puffed out and like the brow, he wanted to keep that all the same. And then when you put that over top of someone's face, you really mask their features. So he really, it's, it's one of those things where you might be staring right at that nose because that nose really draws you in and that lip draws you in too. But it's like every face, like when they, especially at the end of the episode and not to jump right to the end, they do the, like the quick cuts of every face. And it's almost like you've seen that gif of like Paris Hilton's face where it never changes. Like that's kind of what that felt like where it's like, they're all, they're all the same. And uh, even though they may have different hair and that, you know, definitely male and female, like you got the, you got the uniformity even as uh, asymmetrical as it was. And that was some really forward thinking. Yeah. It's just incredible. And, you know, uh, I mentioned the music and just this scene with her running around, and uh, the flashes to all their faces and everything with that Bernard Herman score. And you get the TV screens coming down, playing the speech from that leader. Uh, really chilling stuff. Like, I, you know, every time I see this episode, it gives me goosebumps. And I was excited to revisit this because it's been a long time since I've seen it. And I'm so happy to say this episode holds up so strong. Like, there's a reason this is a classic. And there's a reason yep. why this is like the famous Twilight Zone episode. I just feel like everyone on this episode brought their A game. You know, it was, it, it, I should say it's the A team of Twilight Zone. I mean, you got Douglas Hayes, who is probably my favorite director that has been working on the, the show so far. Um, you got Bernard Herrmann, who is one of the greatest uh, movie composers of all time. You got, uh, you know, Rod Serling, who, Twi- Twilight Zone, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then we have... Uh, just really great actors and everything in this and William Tuttle who MGM makeup artists and everything and their go-to it just everyone was firing on all cylinders and I mean it, it's there's really little to really pick out as problems in this episode um, so I, I guess we'll get away to get to the end here so she ends up running into a lobby and she finds this muscly handsome fellow yeah. standing there uh that she runs into what who is basically the ambassador that's going to take her to this uh pl- place up north with all of the other ugly people the he's, undesirable he's so ugly <laughs> so ugly and his uh his nice uh chin and and eyes and and not a weird and, lip he's just and biceps <laughs> <laughs> so healthy looking i hate him anyway um but she's she's even disturbed by him you know and then the doctor right you know, comes in and is like, no, 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 no. He's here to help you. And she could barely look at him. And he's like, listen, you know, get up there, give it some time. And then, you know, you'll see that there's love there. And then he really stresses that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. He stresses it about three times. I think, 
Um, yeah, so finally they walk away and they there's a great shot of the doors opening up and the whole hospital staff standing there and they walk through and uh, we get Serling's end narration, which I, I really enjoyed Serling's closing narration on this episode. Um, kind of sums everything up for you. <laughs> Yeah, so so Mars, like I just want to like we we talked about this uh, before we started recording. Uh, we saved we wanted to save this moment for you to talk about like you know you said did you guys realize why this episode is important to me? Uh, yeah, I just want you yeah. to Explain that a little bit more. Why this was like the one. Uh, I I realized the the uh, um uh, this was the first time that I was terrified in like a safe environment, you know, which is which is how you realize that you love to be scared, you know, like nobody loves to be in like a car crash or, uh, be in like a, a real bad situation or have their health in jeopardy. No one likes that type of scared, but like, you know, as horror fans, you know, in action fans, whatever else we love the exhilaration of being scared. And, um, uh, like I was maybe, I was like in first grade, however you all are, are then, and we lived in a small, like, basement flat, not too far away from where I live right now. And for whatever reason, I couldn't sleep. And, like, I, uh, my dad would work, like, a, like a, he would get home at, like, you know, like, uh, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And sometimes I'd wake up to him kind of unwinding, watching TV. And I woke up, and I kind of wandered out, and I woke up just in time for the first that like Fred Gorsh looking, you know, doctor to like kind of spin around and have that, you know, the pig face. And, and according to my father, I broke down on a molecular level. <laughs> like, he, like he said, I didn't scream. I let out like a noise, like all the air, like went out of my body. And like, like my mom thought I was going to have to go to the hospital. I was having such a, you know, like, cause I was always surrounded by monsters and aliens and stuff like that. But like, again, like to see that out of context scared me. And still there would be days that for, for my cruel family's entertainment, we would be like having like a game night or whatever. And I would just turn around and my dad would like, you know, be using his, his like left hand to pull his eye, the bottom of his eyelids down and his other hand to pull his nose up like a pig face. <laughs> and like, I'd look at him and like, you know, like this probably went on until like I was like 12 or 13, like, and I realized, you know, like on top of that, like, you know, you know, while my dad was, was ribbing me to scare me, he was like, you know, he was understanding that, uh, that this was resonating with me, you know, like yeah. that's something that I saw a genre thing like this was making me like still having an effect on me, you know? And I think he like, uh, you know, not to say he, he wasn't every bit of the prick that I've become, but, um, you know, he, he appreciated that it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't just something like ridiculous that scared me or whatever else. Like, you know, like I, I like I'd, I'd run into like some real craftsmanship for my first like monster, <laughs> like, my, you know, my first like nightmare. It wasn't like, you know, just something that scared me on a conceptual level. It was something that worked because it was uh, was well done. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it was legitimately scary. And, and you know, and then like. I don't think I, I think I watched uh, I probably watched every episode of the Twilight Zone four times before I would let like 
if I turned it on and I saw anything that made me think it might be that episode, <laughs> turn it off like instantly, like just couldn't, um, this is probably only the third time that I've watched it like all the way through. Um, yeah. like, well, so did it, it hold it, up? Were you still terrified? Were you covering your eyes this time? <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't because I was like a mate. I mean, uh, both times I watched it, uh, this week, I watched it at noontime in my living room, uh, you know, with the, with the light shining. in. so, um, I, I definitely, you know, uh, d- dealt the cards in my favor, but it was like, uh, you know, like I understood why it scared me so bad because yeah. it, you know, and, and I also feel like in the other times that I watched it, the reason that it resonated with me is because like it manages to do two things. It does at face value it does the thing that all the culture that i grew up with like you know from like you know my fledgling love of like really outrageous like synth pop and punk to like thrash metal and stuff like that like what was all that stuff about like be yourself don't be conformist you know what i mean like at the same time this is a sneaky thing right if you really think about it because like uh, while it's saying don't you know, be yourself, like be a, like be a conformist, like the monsters one, right? Like the beautiful people are yeah. like the outcasts. So like it, it does, like it does, it, it sort of serves two masters. And I think that it, it took me to literally this viewing to realize that. But I think that it was like, uh, like it, on two le- of being terrified as a little kid. And it's like, and it's conceptual duplicity i guess I, I i think that it's just always something that even with minimum viewings like i've been rolling around on my my tongue for like for like ever like because it's just a master class of like um like brilliant uh subversive writing yeah no, I, I'm glad you bring that up because that is one thing you know he deals with the idea of identity and the loss of identity uh uh, a lot on the show and I, I it is kind of sneaky like you said how he does that because it's very easily easy to relate to uh, the main character um, but it, it like you said at the end it's like she just got let off she like she's not happy <laughs> like being right. different you know like things aren't okay because she's going to be with those people like she wants to be normal and i think that's something with humanity where no matter how different you are you always want to be accepted you know right and it's 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 a great message you know the eye of the beholder thing and the beauty is uh in the eye of the beholder is a great message alone but just the idea of wanting to belong and but still have your identity and all that and wanting to be different or maybe being different not understanding why you're different and everything and not being able to accept it like there there's so much in this episode in this 20 minutes that like i I, you could spend hours and hours going through this and really unpacking every single little message in this uh it's it's really genius but another another thing i just thought of um that kind of brings us all full circle on why I'm glad we had you on because uh, last time I was on trick or treat radio, we reviewed a movie called the similars and I know I've mentioned it on this, um, but that episode, I mean, there are two episodes. I feel like that movie really borrowed heavily from this one, a mirror image, but more so this episode. And um, yeah, it's just real funny. I, I didn't even think about it when I asked to have you on, but uh 
it's funny that we had you on the episode that that movie was kind of based on. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. The full circle. Well, and I just appreciate that from the get go, the staff is telling her what the the expectation is going to be. So there's no twist in like uh, in the sense of like they pulled, you know, they pulled a fast one on her. It's always the hope that she'll be like them. But there's always the knowledge, even from the, the from the jump, that if this doesn't work, you're going to the farm up north with all, you know, with all the uggos and all and all the, the dogs that are a little too old for home. They're all going up north. Right. You know, yeah. so I appreciate that that it's like as much as there's twists that the, the, the twist here is that, you know, she, what she is, isn't normal for them. I like that it's played straight where there isn't a bigger sinister ulterior motive with the staff. I mean, there's the bigger world yeah. at large, but I like that it's, it's very like, it's the, this is the consequence of what will happen. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And like I said, the uh, hospital staff, they're just basically victims of society and uh, you know, uh, they've just conformed and you know that they, they think they're doing what's right so the, right. there is no ulterior motive there's no one trying to get one over on her like you said and uh yeah it's it's very different for the show <laughs> so uh, i just want to mention here uh because it feels like we're getting through all of this and it's all really good stuff uh, there's three things i wanted to bring up one a very young rick baker saw this one at telecast originally in 1960 at age 15 and then he went and recreated the makeup so this thing inspired oh, wow. him so i appreciate that uh two and i was mentioning this uh, about uh i guess there's another thing i'll mention as well uh douglas hayes with his wife uh being the one nurse so <laughs> he said the day that his wife showed up one set in the full nurse outfit and the makeup uh douglas says hey honey shouldn't you be in makeup and then he replied the the day didn't go so well from that point forward so i thought that was funny <laughs> um and then uh, Buck Houghton, the producer, who I need to find more about this guy because he seems like he's the producer for Sterling, so he's keeping the whole circus running, but he seems very straightforward with how he runs his business. He was trying to get reactions about how people felt about the episode that hadn't seen it, so he showed it to uh, a gentleman named uh, Lud Gluskin, who was in charge of music for CBS and didn't really read the scripts, but he would come in and watch the final cuts of episodes and recommend like music cues, so he had no idea what he was about to watch. Is this old, very, very serious German man? I was gonna say I, I don't know if I want the guy being in charge of music for my TV station uh, to have the name Lud. Lud, yeah, <laughs> Lud Gluskin. Um, Sounds so, like a hip young man. <laughs> he, he ends up watching the movie, and it's and it's at the time Lud must have been sixty five and was pretty hard to move. And at the end of that, he just turned to look to Buck Houghton and said. Jesus Christ, really? And then Buck was like, so I knew we had a pretty good picture. And that was the end of the quote. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, the other thing, just real quick, is that this episode actually has a second title because it, it's it's also known as uh, the Eternal World of Darkness, or the, sorry, the Private World of Darkness, because yes. someone raised a stink about the episode title saying that there was a, a movie out somewhere like two years before that was in distribution that was for educational purposes and that people might get confused. And then uh, yes. reading about yeah. that movie, it has nothing in common with this. So there, so when this thing was rebroadcast for a while, it actually had that different name, which I feel like that doesn't sell the story and doesn't set you up for what's about to happen. And that's, 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 uh, that's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I still can't get over Lud. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so that yeah, that's all I have for for my notes. I just this is like you guys said it best. Like this, 
it, it's it's best to put yourself in the position of it's a Friday night. You've been watching the twilight zone. You just saw the devil, the previous episode, things are good. And then just to get like, have Sterling come out and punch you in the gut, like yeah. on a Friday night, like, do you go out and go to a, like, you know, do you go to a soda shop afterwards? No, I think you sit at home and just kind of contemplate life right. for a minute. Yeah. All right. You do, uh, you do a Roddy McDowell did and you just pour some scotch. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. What, <laughs> that's what you do. If you're me, you almost go to the emergency room with a stop by <laughs> DPSS. Right. Like my like that like my mom didn't take a lot of crap, so like, you know, I, I think my dad was like on the couch for a while after that. And it wasn't even his fault. Like I just wandered out, but like he like uh, like I like I said, like I just I don't I remember seeing it and I remember like being in bed crying like the still the next day about it like in having nightmares and like it just like like you said it like it, it it hit me in the gut without any context at all which which yeah. is another thing i want to touch on real quick like how good that makeup is because like uh, like to go on something kevin said earlier you've been watching the twilight zone for a while at this point right if you were an avid fan tuning in every every week yeah. so you sort of probably, if you were, a, you know, a, a, a reader of horror or, or you know, pulp science fiction, pr- might have sussed out what was going to happen when that, when that bandage came off, right? Like, uh, you know, you you might have been able to figure out what was going to happen. The whole episode rests on that makeup because even if you were like, oh yeah, like she's gonna, you know, if you were like you know, uh, oh yeah, she's going to be beautiful and they're all going to be ugly. And, and this is the way this works. Like that, that makeup is going to f- make you d- do a flip anyway. Like, even yeah. if you know what's going to come the first time, you don't know what you're going to see. And that makeup is so friggin' scary. And yeah, so, and, and, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, sorry, I cut you off, but uh, yeah, that makeup, like, you know, at this point it's so iconic, you know, when people think about the twilight zone, you know, you think about the fortune teller, you think about this, you think there's those certain episodes you always go to. You think of the mannequins and after hours and stuff. Oh my um, God. That scared me too later. Also yeah, directed that, by Douglas yeah, that Hayes. Thing yeah. Terrifying. Um, but when you still like this, this is probably, I've watched it like three or four times now my entire life, but every time it's still shocking to see it for the first time and right. to see them moving, you know, you see the stills of it and everything. And I posted like that great artwork on the Facebook page uh, earlier in the week. Um, you know, you see it and you're like, wow, that's so memorable. So great. But every time you see it actually come to life, it's, it's so terrifying. It, it just, like I said, I get goosebumps every time and I, 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 I can't say enough, uh, good things about, uh, William Tuttle's work. It's just like, God damn. So good. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so. <laughs> I think, I don't know what else to, to add to this other than like, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just a really good episode. It belongs up there in the pantheon of like famous moments. I mean, this uh-huh. is, this is just one of those images. Like you guys said that that's always going to be stuck in people's minds because of the twilight zone. And, and, and not even the makeup work. Um, some of the images before of just her clutching at the bandages on her mm-hmm. face. Um, I mean, it's so iconic. And, you know, I think I've talked about the movie uh, Time Crimes on this show before. But, I, I mean, that imagery still works with the bandaged face and everything. Yeah, I love, um, I'm a mark for it. Do you guys remember the old 
DC, and they and they brought it back a few times. But uh, I grew up with uh, this character that I just thought was the coolest thing ever. It was uh, his name was the Unknown Soldier, and he was just looked like a, a normal like military grunt. Yeah, and he just had his head wrapped like that, all in bandages. And I thought sounds, it was the coolest thing ever. Sounds so familiar. I gotta look him up now. Um, but yeah, it's just it it works and. The only thing I can think of coming before this um, would have been Invisible Man, right? Uh, to my knowledge, yeah, that's yeah. all I can think of. Yeah, because I can't think of anything else. But you know, I, I love Invisible Man, but I think it I think it works even better in this episode. I, I don't know if that's blasphemous to say, but <laughs> well, um, she didn't have eyes. Like yeah, you know, like yeah. I guess the, I guess like, that's really what makes it even more haunting. Yeah, like the 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 uh, you know reigns or whoever was you know in his place and that thing had those like welding goggle glasses on and you yeah. know like he he, he he and and no eyes when they were doing that bit you know what i mean like there's a spot for eyes like this was just like a blank palette you know you 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 almost are like they almost force you to start trying to figure out what her disfiguration is yourself to almost like paint yeah. on that canvas and, you know and the doctor kind of gives he talks about like the lumps of flesh and the misshapen skeletal structure of her skull right. and stuff like he gives i'm i'm happy you brought up lovecraft early in the episode because that's the way he would describe things you know <laughs> this right. is the uh the indescribable being described um and it it, it it causes your mind to wander and it makes things even that much more terrifying but yeah, the, we could go on forever with love <laughs> for this episode. But I will say uh, I do have a piece of negativity on this episode. Um, some of the voiceover work from uh, what, the doctor, um, whoever that actor was, some of his voiceover work was kind of stiff. And uh, it, it took me out of it in a few scenes. But that's literally the only thing I can say that didn't work for me totally in this episode. Well, some of it was ADR, and you could tell by, like, even yeah, at the beginning Yeah, that's of the what I mean. Here, like, like, when they cut to it, sometimes it's... And, it, again, it's it's just the time. Um, things weren't as advanced as they are today, obviously. Um, it, just, it, it can be kind of... I don't know what the word is. Just uh, it sounded it sounded like just radio dialogue as opposed to like acting. Yeah, it just sounded really stiff. Yeah, and right. uh, but it, that actor, he's probably the least experienced out of all of them, other than Hay's wife in this. <laughs> so uh, you know, it, it'll happen. It'll happen. But other than that, just a phenomenal episode. Probably one of my favorites that we've covered so far. Yeah, absolutely. So should we just get to the twist? Yeah, let's do it. I don't think this is going to be a hard one to rate. Uh, the, 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 you got to I give it a five just because I mean, just for it, it, it has shaped people's expectation for twists overall since it's come out, you know, that that's, I have to put it there. Yeah. And it's, it's a nice twist on the twist in the twilight zone because it's not a character. Like you said, trying to get one over on another character. It's not that big aha moment. It's more of just the inevitable reveal you know, and the, just the build up to that moment when you find out that the roles are reversed and the ugly people are the standard for beauty and everything. It's just it, it's 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 more of a visual cue than anything. You know, it, it's just it, it it shakes me every time I see it. So I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give it a five out of five on the twist. Mars. 
Uh, a five for sure. Like, I mean, uh, I, I often cite, uh, you know, I, I think if I'm looking at, like, I, I recently cited Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein as the thing that was like my gateway for horror. And there was like a lot of things, but like, this was the first uh, time that I realized that like, uh, those flickering images on my, you know, that, that box in the corner of my house that, that showed movies and stuff could really scare me, you know, like could really affect me on like a, a, you know, a level like that, that, you know, it was more than just the Dukes of Hazard running amok and, you know, like, so, uh, you know, like, and, and I think that, you know, to hold up how many things in your life that affected you in one way, you know, hold up like that, you know, how many jaws are there in, in reality? How many times do you see something that scares the heck out of you? And then you watch it at, you know, in my case, 40 something, and, and it, it still scares the heck out of you. And you're also able to appreciate the craftsmanship of it. It, it makes you appreciate it more than just on that visceral level where it hit you the first time. Um, I think that this is a, this is a five. Yep. Yeah. I, I think you said it perfectly there. It's just, it's, it's the perfect combination of everything at twilight zone. It just, it, it works. Yeah, absolutely. Like at this point, I'd probably take this and and the monsters are due on Maple Street. And then if people have never seen the Twilight Zone, show them these two. And I think I'd be good for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'll give my uh, <laughs> my uh, uh, Charles Beaumont book, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. So, yeah, I think that's going to do it for for this episode. Uh, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Join the conversation on there. You can uh, write us a email or leave us a voicemail at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And then we are also on Stitcher, uh, Apple Music, also known as iTunes, <laughs> um, <laughs> Satchel Music Player, a- anywhere podcasts are found, you can find us. And it would really help us out if you would rate and review us on there. Um, so, Mars, you want to let people know where they can find you? Um, you can find, uh, my podcast, our podcast, trick or treat radio at trick or treat radio.com. Uh, probably the, the two best places to like come and hang out with us is, uh, on Facebook. You can find my band, the deadites, um, at, uh, uh, just search for the deadites on Facebook. Um, there are a couple, but I, I think we're pretty easy to find, um, versus them, but also, uh, the trick or treat radio Facebook page, which we call the fib which stands for the fan interaction board. Uh, and you know, we just, you know, hang out there all day and talk about horror and wrestling and, um, comics and whatever. It's, it's a great place to, to be the type of nerd you are. And, you know, if you can handle a little bit of gentle ribbing sometime, you know, everybody is really accepting of other people's stuff. And there's also a, a really great networking tool. Cause there's a lot of great creative people there from working comic artists to writers, to, podcasters to film directors to you know uh just a lot of great creative people on there and if you know like a a, a lot of time to like meet and learn and exchange ideas um it's uh it's cool and uh very quickly if you are in the uh, massachusetts area uh my band is making its return to stage the deadites will uh be doing the show that uh i was afraid i would never be able to do again um 
as part of Rock and Shock Weekend, and Rock and Shock is a big horror music and film festival that happens in Worcester, Massachusetts, October 13th through 15th at the DCU Center, the Worcester Palladium, and the Cove Music Hall. Um, it is a it's a it's a good old time, um, and you know please come hang out with the Deadites. We're gonna have a booth this year um, where you'll get to you know hang out and meet us and stuff like that. And and one more thing that I never plug, um, if you have a podcast. Um, a few years ago, I started a Facebook group called Podcast Mixer. Um, uh-huh. and it's a good place to like exchange ideas and, and hang out and um, you know talk about ways to promote your show and, and stuff like that. I'm not as good at uh, getting the conversation uh, going as I used to be, but um, uh, you know, go and, and learn. And you can, at the very least, you'll learn about some different shows and, and how they do things. So, uh, and thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it was a you. blast. And uh, I, I want to reiterate, please go listen to Trick or Treat Radio. It's an incredible show. They get me through my work week. Uh, every Friday, I look forward to it. Um, and you guys do an incredible live show on Wednesday nights. Um, sometimes it just doesn't work with my schedule. So, And mm-hmm. I kind of like it Friday morning, so <laughs> I don't like to ruin it on uh, Wednesday night. Um, but yeah, the, the Facebook group is probably one of the best Facebook groups I've ever been a part of. Um, and I want to reiterate the, uh, gentle ribbing, uh, compared to some groups online, like this is one of the most supportive, uh, friendly groups I've ever been a part of. And it's, it's such a wonderful community, community that you guys have built up. Um, yeah, so go check them out, go join the Facebook group. And, uh, we were wondering if you were the one that started that podcast mixer actually, actually before we called you tonight. So that answers our question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I wish I, I wish I could remember why specifically <laughs> I did it because I, 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 I felt like, uh, I, I feel like if I did it now, it would make more sense. Right. Like, you know, like we're a little, I'm a little more established. I, I think that I just wanted to have a place where, I was very lucky to have guys like Bill by Force and Samurai uh, and Big Will from, you know, yeah, the gentleman's, gentleman's guy that were always like giving us advice and helping us out and stuff like that. And, you know, I wanted to have a place where other people had the opportunity to to pick those people's brains and it didn't necessarily work out that way. But, you know, now it's kind of become this other cool thing where, you know, there's an occasional exchange of ideas and, and people just kind of promoting their shows. So. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just, I just love podcasting. I'm just trying to, you know, just trying to make sure everybody has a voice, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, oh, there's one more thing I was going to say so and spoiler, lost. this episode might show up in that podcast mixer later. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> nice. Um, I also want to recommend people go check out on uh Bandcamp. There is a, uh, uh, album called Doe for Dynamo that kind of helps with your, uh, your medical expenses and everything, which is an incredible uh, compilation of artists. Um, Doe for dynamo.bandcamp.com. Thank, um, thanks so much. For, for yeah, I, I, I picked that up the uh, first day it was available, and I'm still jamming every day to it. There's some so, uh, just amazing artists on there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very happy about it because um, I don't like to listen to myself like sing. So not like, so even the songs that I wrote and don't sing, I still like hear me singing them, even though like, um, and I gave Wolfie credit before and let me just give credit to my, uh, writing 
mates, uh, Donna Matrix and Tiny White and the Deadites. That they they just like Trick or Treat Radio, like showing up to for recording sessions or everything else is so simple because you know it's like dealing with like you know dealing with like Natalie Merchant and John Carpenter like every single time you go to work like the ideas are yeah. just like so good and so brilliant and like the performances are like perfect every time the first time and you know i just go in there and do my my crappy punk rock vocals and mess everything up but the dough for dynamo not only is nice because one of my bandmates meyer k rock set it up and put it all together um it is the first ever deadite song on there that i had nothing to do with um i didn't write anything i didn't i didn't do anything i didn't do the vocal arrangement so like I can actually listen to it, enjoy it. Uh, so in my opinion, that's the best that I've sung ever. <laughs> yeah. I, I know the feeling being a musician. I, uh, ugh, cannot listen to myself at all. Yeah. Um, well, I love your band too. So, oh, well, I appreciate it. And, uh, I don't know if I've ever plugged it on here, but, uh, feral ritual dot bandcamp.com. <laughs> yeah. It's great um, stuff, folks. You'll love it. Yeah. So I think that about does it. Uh, thank you, Mars. Thanks again. We'll have to get you on in the future. Uh, anytime. We'll, yeah. Anytime. We'll find some other episodes that have a uh, special meaning for you. Get you on thank here. Thank you. I'm happy this one worked out so nice as far as uh, your history with it. So, thank you. Thank um, yeah, thank you. So the next episode is because I, I got to just tease the next one is our first Bill Shatner episode. So that's exciting. Uh, it's Nick of time. And I'm going to butcher Serling's description of it here. So bear with me. Uh, you've probably run across these penny machines that tell your fortune. You put a penny in it and out comes a card. Only this particular machine, which you'll see next week, is a little bit unique in that the fortunes that it tells happen to come true. A most intriguing tale called Nick of Time by Mr. Richard Matheson. And you're invited to partake of it. So we get some Matheson after this strong episode. We come back to Matheson. It's very exciting. And we get Bill Shatner. Even more exciting. Yeah, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it, this is a fairly uh, iconic episode? If it's the one I'm thinking of, it is, yeah, it's, it's the fortune telling yeah, one. It's the fortune telling uh, one mentioned earlier head. today. Yeah. So yeah, some good strong episodes coming up. So uh, look forward to that. And again, uh, Marsh, thank you for coming on. This was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed all the, the different perspective. Thank you kindly, man. Thank you so much. All right, so we're so, gonna, we're going to wrap things up this week. Oh, and, oh man. there all we right. go. Yeah, and I'm we'll, hanging up. <laughs> We'll see you guys next week. Tonight, I shall talk to you about glorious conformity, about the delight and the ultimate pleasure of our unified society. <laughs>